please stand, if you are able to, for the reading of the word, which comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We are not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Bless us, God, with the endurance and commitment that you, your disciples, exemplify, that we might work earnestly in love and service. Amen. You may be seated. So good morning, Faith Westwood, church family, friends, and guests that are here for the baptism today, and a special welcome to those who are worshiping with us online. It is Labor Day weekend, and so we celebrate the work of all who labor and the Apostle Paul's words today. Now, just to remember to those who are on site and online, next weekend for Outside the Walls on site, we're going to be having a special online message that's pre recorded. So we'll still have that slot at 9 a.m. and 10.45 online available for those who would like to have that message. And the next sermon series is called Neighborly. It's going to begin on September 17th. We're going to spend five weeks reflecting on what Jesus said about being a neighbor, as well as glean some inspiration from Mr. Rogers. I want to remind you that the study guide is going to be completed very soon, and it will be uploaded online as well. And for our online community, we want to tell you about something new. We are going to have an online faith group. A Bible study online and so if you would like to participate please note that in the comments and we will get you signed up. You are invited to follow along today using the Pew Bible for your personal or your personal Bible and of course if you have a Bible app feel free to use it and again our scripture is found today on page 1191. Would you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst. Open our hearts that we might know your spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. American game show host Bob Barker passed away on August 26th at the age of 99. From 1972 to 2007, his work centered around the famous phrase, Come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. He had a very interesting life, so here are a few details that you might not know. Bob spent most of his youth on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, and he was a citizen of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. 
He served in the Navy Reserve in World War II. He started in radio when he was in college, and then he moved to California to pursue a broadcasting career. He became an advocate for animal rights, promoting spaying and neutering pets. And Bob Barker will continue to be a pop culture icon. About his job and work, Barker said, I'll tell you one thing. In what I do for a living, there's no substitute for experience. I don't care how much natural talent you may have. In the type of show I do, you can depend on surprises. <laughs> now, it has been said that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Prayerfully, that is true for the work that we do outside of the church and also inside of the church. In preparation for this message, though, I went to Facebook to ask people, what is your job or occupation? How many hours do you work each week? And for what do you labor? I heard the following. Teacher Barbara works 60-plus hours per week. Teacher Liz works 45-ish hours per week. As a daycare director, Cammie works between 40 and 60 hours per week. An attorney for a power company, Lisa, works 40 to 50 hours. In retirement, Larry works as a farmer 40 hours a week. A massage therapist, Karen, works 30 hours per week in the office and about five or six hours from her home. In retirement, Marilyn works harder and longer now than ever before. And in retirement, Edie reflects on finding this church when moving to Omaha, and Gaylene loves her work in volunteer roles at the church. Think about your job, your occupation, and your retirement. How many hours do you work each week? For what do you labor? Remember that Labor Day is a day set aside as a national holiday to celebrate American workers. The very first celebration was the Labor Day Parade in New York City on September 5, 1882. Labor Day has always been focused on improving working conditions in America. And today we tend to focus on the transition for back to school and the end of summer. Many people do get the day off from their labor and they may spend it doing some of their favorite things. Of course, in Nebraska, Monday also marks the last day of the Nebraska State Fair. <laughs> now today, we want to take these conversations about work and labor, and we want to bring them into a spiritual focus. We can also reflect on the spiritual work that we have been called to do with the Apostle Paul guiding us in our conversations. As he wrote his second letter to the Thessalonians, he was keenly aware of the persecution that these Christians were facing as well as the wavering of their faith, their need for encouragement and support. These Thessalonians were not only waiting for Christ's return, they were anxiously anticipating it. Paul was concerned that they had this false sense of their responsibility and mission while they were waiting. Jesus had warned about being ready for his return, but Christians have always wondered what they were supposed to be doing while they were waiting. Some of those early Christian communities then consumed themselves with good works. Others consumed themselves with the law and teachings of Jesus. These Thessalonians became consumed with idleness. Too many of them were failing to do what they needed to do to sustain the community, 
by working and, and even earning their own daily bread. As another commentary stated, these members of the Christian church were abandoning their work to simply wait for Christ in excited idleness. Paul points out that this is not how they were supposed to live. This isn't how the apostles taught them. And the apostles certainly were not idle in their actions. Paul and his, command, um, his companions certainly worked day and night. They were laboring and toiling for their daily bread so that they wouldn't become a burden to this Christian community as they were present with them. And this was to serve as an example for them to imitate. According to verse 10, there was also this kind of rule among those in the community of faith. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. This was to keep people honest and intentional about sharing their resources with one another. Being idle itself was a big problem. But those in the state of excited idleness refused to work. It wasn't that they couldn't find work. There was plenty for them to do among the believers. But unfortunately, their refusal to work led them to being disruptive. Paul says, and I quote, they are not busy, they are busy bodies. Now I read more on this. In Greek, it is far more exciting than in English. Verse 11 is actually a play on words, referring to those who are not working, but working around. While these folks refuse to do their own work, they certainly weren't afraid to busy themselves with the work of other people. Now, what was it that motivated this kind of behavior? Our response, and one response, is that they were motivated by some kind of apocalyptic frenzy. I love that phrase. They believed that that was more important to wait for Christ than their own responsibilities in the Christian community. We might say it this way. They were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. Now, Paul's solution for these idle, disruptive busybodies was to settle down to earn the food that they eat. Yes, Jesus was coming, and prayerfully, Jesus was coming very soon. Yet their behavior was unbecoming of the Christian faith and life. They had forgotten the role model of their Lord and Savior, who was not afraid to work, and they needed to work hard in his name. And then we hear from the Apostle Paul what's most important in verse 13. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Paul was reminding them to keep on going. And while they had breath, they should witness the authentic Christian faith by being Christ's hands and feet and voice in the world. Now, it has also been said that work is for the living, better to wear out than to rust out. <laughs> now, I don't know about that, but for the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians, they had to continually dedicate themselves to the spiritual work of Christ. Now, certainly there's a lot for us to draw from in terms of application today. We certainly appreciate the value of work. We define work in so many ways. Work can be a job. Work can be an occupation. Work can be even the daily tasks that consume our time. 
Now, if you think of the Disney classic, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, those dwarves, those dwarves go off to work in the mines each day, and what do they say? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. I once saw a bumper sticker that says, I-O, I-O, so off to work I go. <laughs> what propels you to work each day, whether in the workforce or even in your retirement? Is it the hi-ho? Or is it the I.O.? The answer to that question puts into perspective the why we work, as well as the how we work. Furthermore, it helps to develop our work ethic. And then we can begin to think about the spiritual work that we do. When I went to Facebook for people's reflections on their jobs, I also asked the question, what about your job do you love? Listen carefully to those who responded. Helping people, helping pets, solving problems, being a part of little people's lives, watching children grow up and become the people that they are meant to become, making connections with students, watching crops grow and thrive, feeling God's healing power, helping people feel better, physically and mentally and spiritually, and greeting people at church. How would you respond to this question in terms of what you love about your job? Is your life's work fulfilling? Are you content with your work? When you wake up in the morning, are you enthusiastic about the tasks that are before you, or are you dreading what is to come? Many years ago, I told Clint that if on a Sunday morning I ever wake up and say, I don't want to go to work today, that's the time I need to step away from ministry. And I have to say that I have never felt that way, only a few times when I was sick. <laughs> but isn't that true? You know, when some of you may notice that there's a few extra things on the altar, and you may say, what's that about today? Well, in between sermon series... And thinking about the work of our hands and all who labor, those things on the altar are representative of some of the tools and resources of our staff here at Faith Westwood. Answering phones, connecting with people. You may know that there's a give, an extra giving bucket up there too. Hammer, some painter's tape, a hymnal. Those are some of the things that, that we use in the life of the church. But when you think about what you love and think about the tools that you use, how would you respond to this question in terms of the spiritual work that you do inside and outside of the church? Some of you may serve on committees and teams. Thank you. Some of you serve within our community partnerships and missions. Thank you. Some of you may do specific tasks that contribute to the community of faith. Thank you. In terms of our collective work through the church, I would dare say that idleness is not our problem today. Would you agree? You know, we had such an amazing response in terms of cash donations as well as food for our food, our FaithWorks pantry during the month of August. 
Last weekend, last weekend, our Love and Learn Daycare Center and Preschool was in the Miller Days Parade. And I have to tell you that I am so very excited for my first Outside the Walls event next weekend. And I can't wait to see another way that this church puts its faith into action. Are you excited too? Perhaps we need to think about what motivates our spiritual work. It is probably not Christ's return, though it might be. It might be remembering the ways that Jesus connected with people and their needs. We may be claiming that whatever we do for the least of these, we have done for Christ. And when it comes to all of the work that we do, you and I recognize that we do wear so many hats. We admit that we get so passionate about so many things. Sometimes, though, those things may consume our time and energy in good ways and maybe in some not-so-good ways. That was what the Apostle Paul was most concerned with, that those Thessalonians were so passionate, yet some of it was misplaced, especially their idleness and the ways that they were disruptive and the ways that they were acting like busybodies. So I wonder, are we in danger of that today? Sometimes I have to believe that we are in danger of being idle or even apathetic in our spiritual work. And certainly we do have to wonder whether we will become disruptive or even a busybody as we tend to important spiritual tasks inside and outside of the church. As we ponder this, remember that the best hat that you and I get to wear is that of a Christian. You and I represent Christ with our thoughts and our words and our actions. It bears great responsibility, yet the rewards are truly out of this world. Friends, we should never tire of doing what is good. So that means that we should never tire of hearing people's stories, bringing people to Christ by being a blessed friend, baptizing babies, children, and adults in the name of Jesus, reaffirming our own baptismal covenant, teaching and preaching the good news, healing souls, doing missions, and even making a difference for the kingdom. These are all good things to work toward as Christians, and we must not stop doing them. And yet, as the church, we must continually ask ourselves, why are we doing these things? We are doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ. We are certainly not doing these things for our glory, but for God's glory. I believe that this really gets to the heart of Paul's message to the Thessalonians. Don't ever grow weary in doing what is good because it is for God's glory. Whether it is in your work or your study, your household chores, or playing with the flowers, or playing with the children. Remember that Bob Barker said in his line of work, he could always depend on surprises. Today, Christians can imagine the spiritual surprises 
the blessings and opportunities that we might experience as we work together for Christ. So until Jesus Christ returns, you and I must dedicate ourselves to the good spiritual work that is worthy of his name. Amen.